Hi, everyone, and welcome to Recovering the Pines podcast show. I'm one of your co-hosts, Brandon Lee, along with my other co-hosts, Albert Black and Doug Dolan, co-owners and co-founders of Recovering the Pines up in Prescott, Arizona. For episode four, we're talking about interventions in this episode. Okay, so let's dispel what people see in the show, intervention, compared to what it is really like when you go out there and do an intervention because you guys do them all the time. Um, Albert, I'll start with you. Right. Well, I'm kind of the front man. I get the calls, 90% of them. You know, I get calls from moms and wives and, you know, I've gotten calls from kids of parents and it's really about education. So people are calling and they're in crisis. It's chaos. And, you know, typically people, you know, they just call a treatment center and it's like, come on down, you know, show your insurance card and you're in, you know, we don't do that. We, I, I want to educate you. Um, if you call me and ask me how much does it cost and how long is your program, you're asking the wrong questions. You don't, you need to find out about our program if this is a good fit, you know, and I start out by saying our program six months to a year. So that weeds out a lot of people that think they're going to get fixed in a short period of time, you know, and I think it's just about being honest, um, with people, educating them, telling them what the process is like. And, um, they need to know what they're signing up for. And, uh, you know, we're available 24 seven. I mean, we go out on holidays when you call, it's like a nine one one call and we're ready to go. Now, if I get a call today, I'll fly anywhere to go get someone. But with the understanding that they're going to take direction, if they won't take direction, I can't help you. They can't be in control anymore. We have to be in control after we've explained to them what the process is. So what does that what does that look like, you know, Doug, when you guys enter someone's home? And I think what's really gonna be something important that we talk about today is what is enabling versus helping? You know, Albert just spoke about the educational piece of an intervention. And what I, through my experience and what I've told families, the intervention in and of itself, the actual act of the intervention is less about the addict addict and it's more about the friends and the family of those surrounding that person, getting them to understand how their actions and their behaviors are enabling their loved one to continue down this destructive path of addiction. Yeah, that enabling portion is huge because it's not just the education, it's also realizing, listen, we need to have a plan in place because we hope that your individual will say, yes, I'm willing to get well, and you better have something that you can get into action right away. Because if you have a gap in time, they're more likely to go back out, find a reason to you know, decommit to wanting to do this. And so that's where the enabling portion comes in with the family. If the family gives them an out, we're all wasting our time because in that moment, unless the individual has asked us to come and they're really at that point of brokenness and they just have some curiosity about the program, there's going to need to be some kind of containment from the family saying, listen, if we've been paying for certain things, we love you, but we're not paying for it anymore because you've just gone out and you've hurt yourself even more with this. If they're giving them an out, We need to close that door to whatever that is, because again, that individual, whoever we're coming to do the intervention with, if they know, hey, it's Aunt Susie or it's Uncle Joe or whoever, if we don't close that door, when they get squeezed, they're just going to go look for the path of least resistance. And I think education is so important in just even understanding what is enabling versus what is helping, right? And so- 
parents are like, well, yeah, of course, I'm still paying their rent. I don't want my child to be living out on the streets, <laughs> right? And I would look at that parent and say, you know, you're just giving your your son or your daughter, or your loved one, a place for them to use drugs. Right. Um, yeah, we pay their cell phone bill because we want to be able to get a hold of them. Yeah, well, you're also paying for your child to call their drug dealer and yep. call their drug using friends and do those things, right? Without any restrictions or a commitment to anything. And I've told a family before and I said, okay, you're paying their rent. Okay, well, how about we pay their rent at a sober living? where it's guaranteed to have structured living and your son or daughter has to go to a meeting. Like, why don't we transfer some of that rent money into a sober living and having them understand and open their eyes versus what is enabling and helping because the things that they're doing, they truly think are helping. And to get them to understand, dude, you're about to send your child or your loved one to the grave faster than you think. Right. Well, they're loving their kids to death or their loved one to death. And it's really about, you know, pointing out their the cost. You know, everyone always counts the cost of what it's going to cost to go to treatment. Oh, I don't want to spend that. But there's a cost if you don't. And so you have to explain that to them, what the cost is. But I think too, I think some families, you know, they've spent the money on those 30 day, you know, again, it's, it goes back to that, the failing, the, the failure of our healthcare system, right? Of, of getting people to buy into what really works because so many parents are like, yeah, but we've done the treatment. We've done the 30 days. We've done that. We forked that over. Um, but it's also getting the person now away from the family. Let's look at the addict during the intervention. And, and what's one of the, the pushbacks I'm sure you get? Oh, I can't, I can't pack up my bags and leave my job for six months. I'll get fired. I'll lose my job, right? Yep. I'm yep. sure that's the pushback you guys get. And getting that person then to understand, yo, bro, if you don't do this right now, you ain't going to have that job to lose in six months. Like it's already going to be taken from you. Right. (laughs) You know what I'm thinking right now, you know, people, they they think about their jobs. They think about relationships. These are the things we take away. We take away your job. We take away the relationship. We take away your gadgets, phones, and we take away your car. And so we just got to strip you down to nothing. And that's, you know, people will hang themselves over those types of things, but none of those things are going to save you. Those, all those things are great if they're used properly, but you have all those things now and your life's a mess. Those things aren't going to get you well. And in those different situations, you know, going back to what's the difference between enabling and what we're looking on having them do is two things. Can you take responsibility and get into healthy action? You know, I need to both for the family and for the individual. And in those cases, you know, if it is the jobs, if it is the finances, the relationships and all of that, you're already gambling with that. Like you said, is if you stay on this course, you're probably going to lose that stuff anyways. And it's probably worse off than what you already realize. And so now you have a shot. If I make a shift into getting well, that I can actually maybe save my job. I can save my marriage. I might be able to heal my relationship with my finances and these different things. But on the path that they're on right now, it's all going to come undone. You know, I've I've heard both sides of interventions. Do they work? Do they not work? Right. I think that there's, you know, arguments to be made sometimes on both sides. And, um, you know, some people who say, ah, interventions, do they really work? Ah, I'm not a huge fan of them in the behavioral health industry. They may say, uh, you know, until they're willing, right? You know, mm-hmm. until they're willing to do it. But the other side of it is like, listen, the point of an intervention can be really working with the families to create the boundaries to get said loved one who's struggling to hit their rock bottom faster, right? And we right. do that. So I, I my you know, push back to those who say, do you know, do interventions really work? No, not if they're ready and willing. 
my thing is, our, no, let's try to get them to hit their rock bottom faster right. by cutting off their little lifelines that they've been using the entire time, right? No, yes. you cannot stay with us until you're going to meetings. You cannot live under our roof until you're doing those things. We're not going to pay your cell phone bills until you go to treatment. We're not going to do these things until you show us that it's doing it. And at first, you know, they're going to couch surf. That's mm-hmm, what they're going to mm-hmm, do. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to go stay at Billy's house or I'm going to go stay at Jane's house and live with her for a while until Jane sit there and go, get the hell out of my house. You've been here for a month eventually, you know, you're going to run out of waves to ride you know, from couch surfing so much, you're going to end up homeless. And, and I think that an intervention can be really just a, let's get them to hit their rock bottom and get them to hit reality real quick right. so that they are then willing to surrender. Right. That's exactly right. So, you know, when I get a call and I'm talking to a mom and, and you're exactly right, you know, they're paying their rent, they're paying their car. It's like, if I could do that and get high, <laughs> you know, and live in a nice house, it's what? like, why wouldn't you? So you have to take those things away. And we're speaking from experience. I mean, we, we've done hundreds and hundreds of interventions. And what I always like to do is we give them other families names and numbers. Like I can tell you how great we are, how great I am. But if talk to another mom, talk to another dad, talk to another wife, they're not going to lie to you. Ask them what we do and how we do things. And what you're doing isn't working. You're in, and, and here's the thing today, the stuff that people are putting into their bodies will kill you today. Yeah. Like it's not, you know, no. 30 years ago when I was doing cocaine and drinking beers, I wasn't too worried about dying. You could do some cocaine today and be dead. You can do some opiates and, you know, they're all getting pills from wherever they're getting pills. You're dead. You take a dirt nap. It's over. It, this stuff that they're doing today and it's getting more potent and stronger. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're losing what? 8300 people a day from overdoses. That's like a plane crash in every day. And all of these kids, they don't think it's going to be them. But today, 300 people. So, you know, relative to that, I sit on a committee. I review all the overdose deaths for our county. I look at toxicology reports, review them with other medical professionals and other people in law enforcement and the legal community. And I've had to review cases as young as a 12-year-old and people up into their 70s. And the amount of fentanyl that's out there today that can kill you. Uh, is tremendous. And as Albert mentioned, it's only getting worse. So one is intervening on that. And some families are hesitant. Well, if I put this squeeze on them, you know, they might not do the healthy thing. They might not love me. And it's like, they aren't doing the healthy thing as it is right now. You you can be guaranteed that if we don't intervene on this, this isn't going to get better on its own. At least if we can get them to shift, which there are those two bottoms. The one rock bottom is hopefully we can artificially raise it because we're closing off options for them to stay out there and continue using or drinking. But the other rock bottom is death. And that's what we're trying to avoid. So the quicker that we can intervene on that, get them to turn around and make a change in their life, the better you know chance we have of actually keeping them alive. But keeping them on course, paying their bills for them, opening up these different opportunities for them to continue to stay secure in their using or their drinking, you're just gambling with the fact that things are going to go really, really bad. I think one of the hardest bonds to break is that of a parent and child. Right. There is this natural maternal and paternal instinct, especially maternal, right, is is cutting that off between parent and child. Um, because a parent goes, No, I'm supposed to be there for my kid no matter what. 
that you're telling me to do this, but no, I, I, I can't see my son on the street, son or daughter on the street. Like I can't do that to them. Like it goes against every natural animalistic fiber of our beings, right? That's what we got to consciously get parents to understand. But here's what I also told them. Okay. You're letting your child live with you because you think that if they're under my roof, at least they're going to be safe. No, the majority of youth overdoses happen inside of the family's homes. You're just going to find your child dead within your own home, mm-hmm. under the roof of your own home. Mm-hmm. It's not going to get them to stop. Right. You know, and, but it is, it's the, it's the one ongoing struggle that I see is just that parent to child relationship. Right. I think it's just really being honest. And I don't know. Everybody says they're honest. You know, when I sit down with parents, I I talk to moms and dads all the time. I tell them, your kid's probably not going to change. This is high risk. You're probably wasting your money. That being said, I've seen a lot of young men change too. You know, so I think just building that confidence in us and letting them talk to other people too, that they realize um, it's just education. You're just educating them. And I think we sound different than most people. I mean, when you call us, you talk to the owners. You talk to Doug and I. You don't talk to some intake team. We make the decisions. We fly out. We go seven days a week, 24 hours a day. I mean, we show up in living rooms and uh, it's just a little different experience. I mean, we have relationships with these families. So in what you said, as far as the instinct of being the parent and being there for them, we're closing off all doors that give them avenues to stay sick. And you're opening one door for them on an avenue to go get well. And you are being there for them. You still love them. You encourage them. And you've opened up and created that opportunity for them. All the other doors or hoping that they'll figure this out on their own or they're just going to change on their own is like almost happens never, right? Where obviously you call this out because you've seen things. There's things that are going on that you're already witness to. And if you're witness to something, I can guarantee you there's a whole bunch of things you're not witness to. And you don't even know the whole story with your child. And if you think just because they're living with you that they love you, how much I was detached from my parents even when I was around them, when I was drinking. Because we we are so in fight or flight mode, we're not really connected with the people around us. And we're trying to isolate because we're trying to hide so many things. And they're probably already lying to you about things and they're hiding things from you. So it's already a dysfunctional relationship. You are not abandoning them. And if they choose not to go, that's not you abandoning your child. That's your child abandoning you. They're choosing to walk away and they might need that pain of being in jail or being homeless as a way to finally get them to that pain point and saying, I'm done. I'm in a moment of surrender. You've never closed the door off to them for getting well. You've just shut off all of their doors to enabling them. I think a lot of times uh, parents enable out of shame, mm-hmm. out of their own guilt. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, the enabling too, is it's just as bad as the addiction. Like they're the same. You know, the, the addiction's obviously bad, but the, enable, the enabling's a sickness in itself. Because I think it's also important too, you know, that while the family members in treatment, that the family is also being educated, right? This isn't like um, my son or daughter has a is an alcoholic or a drug addict, go fix them. And that's it. Like the the healing journey and the treatment program isn't just, no, we're not just going to take Johnny, you know, for six months to a year without working on you, the family as well. Yes. Right. And, and with Johnny having been sick, 
How has that changed you in the way that you've changed the way that you've gone about and lived your life or how you perceive things? Or, or maybe the way you've lived life absolutely. has one of the cause reasons as to why Johnny is sick. If you don't figure that out, uh-huh. when Johnny gets back, you what's can use changed? It, what's changed. Right. Yeah. You know, it's and also so, a reflection point of we're not blaming you, but also look at you as to why Johnny ended up the way he did. Yeah, yeah. You know, Albert talked about honesty. There's that rigorous honesty. Blaming people doesn't create a situation where people are usually willing to get well. Right. Like that's not a healthy way to get Correct. people to where we need to get to. But we need to be willing to take a rigorously honest look at things that's and it. say it's a whole family illness. Correct. It's not possible for this one individual to get ill, let's say. It has a radiating effect, you know, whereas his parents uh, or siblings, or whatever it may be. Again, how has it changed you? How have you become either more angry, more fearful, more enabling? And just this individual going away, getting well, doesn't mean you've changed. So we have to work on different dynamics there because you're absolutely right. Put the individual back into that environment, and you'll watch people fall back into old patterns just like that. And I think interventions are the perfect opportunity to absolutely. kind of get that message to the families. Well, it's that moment of crisis. In a moment of crisis, sometimes people are more willing to listen to the truth because they're like, whatever it takes, takes, this needs to stop. And so while you have that openness, while you have those open ears, we need to talk about all these dynamics. And I think, you know, I, I asked three questions, you know, do you have a problem? You know, and usually that's a no brainer. Yes. Yeah, it's a rhetorical. You know, do, do you want, <laughs> do you want help? And everybody says, yes, this is the hard one. Are you willing to do anything? And that's where people jump off because I mean anything, you know, when I got sober, you know, I closed my businesses. I didn't work for a year. I was taken off of bank accounts. I mean, it was, I was radical and I, and those things were asked of me and I did them, didn't like them, but I did them. And to, you know, so many people want to negotiate. If someone's negotiating with me, it's like, you don't want to get well. I just know, like, if you have a plan, if you're telling me what your plan is, you don't want to, you don't want to get help. And if you won't listen to me, when I talk to parents, they're in crisis. This is what you guys have created. I, I have experience. I know something different. You might want to try it. If they're willing to do that, then they want to get well. But if they're, t- well, I'll only do this. And what about that? And can I have my car? And can I do this? It's like, then you need to go do those things. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there was a few things that my sponsor did at the very beginning. Might as well have been an intervention. I, I, I didn't actually go to treatment. If I could do it all mm-hmm. over again, which I can't, but if I could, you know, one of the things I, 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 I really speak on to people is I wish I would have gone to treatment at the beginning. I really do because it really would have helped me set a foundation. You know, mm-hmm. going to a place like Recovery in the Pines really would have helped me set a foundation to achieve successes earlier on mm-hmm. in life, mm-hmm. you know, but I didn't, I just went to meetings, but I, I did feel like I had my sponsor ran a treatment center. So like, he wasn't just in AA, like he actually was an executive director of a very good treatment center in Atlanta, Georgia. And he was my sponsor. So he definitely, it was like IOP. Um, and, you know, and he, he, you know, he had me get down on my knees on, on, and pray, you know, on my bed. I'm like, bro, come on, dude. And he's oh. like, on you're not in the shower not laying on your back in bed but right. on your knees on the side of the bed yeah. like nah. but i did it right and you know i couldn't i couldn't have sex for a year i was like what he goes let's do a month can you make it a month we did a month then two months then three months then a year right you can't date no sex no anything but i did it yes you know i did it and i can look back and say 
that's what one of the reasons of the successes that I've been able to have, you know, and I look at success a lot differently now after my relapse mm-hmm. than I did prior to. I, I put more weight into counting mm-hmm. years and mm-hmm. chips than mm-hmm. I did about healing, mm-hmm. uh, which we could talk about on another episode. But, um, you know, I think interventions going back to the main topic here, mm-hmm. I think they're mm-hmm. necessary at times, mm-hmm. um, you know, for families to really understand the crisis that it is and saying, hey, this is an intervention so that we're not doing this at a funeral. Right, and we're right. not living a yep. life of regret. Yes, yeah. You know, that and, that. and the intervention isn't just on the substance. So again, no. if somebody's struggling with alcohol, cocaine, you know, opioids, whatever it may be, we're also intervening on unhealthy family dynamics. We're intervening on warped thinking. We're intervening on character defects. We're intervening on what are the other numbing agents or stimulants you use as a way to just distract yourself from your pain. And that can be drugs. It can be alcohol, but it can be sex. It can be image. It can be jobs. It can be all kinds of things. We have to help you have a healthy relationship with yourself so you can have healthy relationships with others and other things. If you don't have a healthy relationship with yourself, it's all going to come undone. And you're going to go back to the substances or whatever it may be. So we're intervening on more than just whatever they believe is like that initial substance or pain point. I think, um, you know, as I'm sitting here thinking about what I say when I talk to families and, and, and 99% of families that call us, you know, they agree with it's just pretty basic. You know, we're trying to create godly, sober, self-supporting, responsible men and women, you know, and I think every parent, you know, 75, 80% of our patients are this failure to launch this 18 to 35 that mom and dad are still supporting you. You know, it's, 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 it's ugly. It's, it's real. And so, you know, you want your kid to take care of himself. You want him to be responsible and sober doesn't mean not using substance. To me, sober is, is, you know, being emotionally stable, emotionally mature, showing self-control. That's someone that's sober minded, you know, godly. What does it mean to be godly? I don't care because you go to church. That doesn't make you godly. You know, someone that's living a spiritual life, uh, a purposeful life, you know, that's that's what we're looking for. And I think parents and, and spouses and everybody, they buy into, yeah, that's what I want. And, you know, as we wrap up this segment, you know, about interventions, I think it's it's very rare that the owners of a treatment center are the ones doing the intervention. And it's very, very rare. And you just don't find it. Right. I remember, you know, couple months ago. It was Saturday. It was parents day family weekend at the university of Arizona. And I was down there with my, you know, with my wife and kids and my son's down there and you called me and it was, it was a Marine with uh, PTSD and his spouse. And I remember I had a family gathering right before the game. I mean, we were at a bar and, you know, (laughs) eating wings and watching the game. And, you know, I said to my wife, I got to go outside. Then I actually went and sat in my car and I called this wife and I talked to her for about an hour. He ended up not coming, but um, you know, that's just what we do. You know, we just talk to people. We just, that's all I want to do is talk to them. Yeah. You guys don't just talk the talk, you walk the walk and I've witnessed it, you know, and, and, you know, just for those who are watching and listening, it's very, very rare. And I'll say that again, it's very, very rare to have the owners of a treatment center do the actual intervention. It goes to show their mission, their purpose into, into the commitment that they're making, not only to you, but to also your loved one who is suffering. Um, you know, if you want more information about recovering the pines, very easy website, it's recoveringthepines.com. You can contact them. You can reach out. You 
will speak to Albert or Doug um, personally on the phone uh, to figure out the right treatment plan and the right plan of action if an intervention is necessary or uh, what kind of program will help you or your loved one heal from the trauma and heal from substance use disorder. Um, If you're listening on iTunes or Spotify or Google Play, don't forget we also record this podcast. It's available on YouTube. It's uh, the channel is Recovering the Pines. And when you're there, make sure you to subscribe to the channel. Also hit that little bell notification symbol. When you do that, you will get an alert every time we upload a new episode. We will see you back here for the next episode of Recovering the Pines.